0: Welcome to Real Vision. My name is Santiago Velez. I'm the R&D division lead for Block Digital. And I'm excited to welcome today, uh, Mr. Chris, and if I pronounce this correctly, Spadafora. Is that right? Italian.
1: That, that's perfect, Santiago. Perfect. All right. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, thank you.
0: So today I'd like to get into uh, real heavy into DeFi, which is a fairly complicated topic, I think, uh, and into your project specifically, uh, Badger. Uh, but before that, let's learn a little bit about yourself, how you got into the space. I know you're an OG uh, in, in Bitcoin, but I think uh, over the years, we, we, you've progressed into um, something even greater. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, it's, it's it's great to be here and, and share a little bit about the story. And I'm excited to talk about DeFi in general, because I, I genuinely believe it's, it's the new financial system that we're all building together the people's financial system. But in terms of my background as it relates to crypto, uh, you know, I got into Bitcoin, lucky enough, it was 2013-ish in that range. I was living in New York City and I was at the time selling hardware and software. And um, my office was on Wall Street right above the original Bitcoin center. And a friend of mine from college came out to, moved out to Long Island and he was big into Bitcoin. And he was like, dude, we got to go down to this you know the center that you can buy and sell bitcoin there's all these guys that built these crazy miners like it's like really cool so we used to go down on i think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays and you know dude would be up there in a bow tie with an excel spreadsheet on the wall as the order book and literally be doing live auctions for bitcoin and you know that that's when the rabbit hole that's when i jumped into the rabbit hole and i you know i just stayed part of the this called the digital community and you know the meetups and stuff along those lines for quite a few years about, I'd say about two and a half, three years. And then, um, I was, I had an e-commerce business and I decided to want to jump, you know, want to jump full time into, into crypto in 2016. And then that's where I just became more active, um, in investing and evaluating things outside of Bitcoin. And, you know, I never was the type to be, you know, super hardcore Bitcoin. Like I, 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 believe Bitcoin is the soundest money ever invented and the best collateral we'll ever see. But that didn't mean that everything else was a scam, right? Like, I just never thought like that. And I think that's very narrow-minded and preventative for the entire space to move forward. But of course, you know, being from Toronto um, and Ethereum starting in Toronto, you know, as early as Ethereum was starting, I I obviously caught wind and and was... um, was really taken by what they were trying to build and what they were building. And a lot of friends of mine from college were, you know, into it and, and just naturally the scene here was really picking up. So that, that was my exposure. And then over those years, um, just was more active in investing and helping different projects launch and doing some community stuff, organizing conferences and, and different types of get togethers and charity initiatives. And then in 2019, I decided, you know what, I really want to focus on building and have more of an impact on the space that, you know, that I've grown to love over those years. And I I saw an opportunity specifically around the lack of Bitcoin. Like if you rewind today, it's still really small, but, you know, rewind a year and a half ago, there was probably under a thousand coins, maybe even 500 Bitcoins that were off of the Bitcoin network being used in some type of utility on other blockchains, if that's Ethereum or whatever, you know, today there's like 220,000. And it still only represents slightly over one, well, I think it's like 210,000. So, so right at 1% of the total Bitcoin supply today is being utilized. Um, but that that was our absolute mission, right? How do you build an open community and a project that enabled those that wanted to put Bitcoin to work, to be able to do that, still do it in a trusted non-custodial way. And then of course, you know, have an organization or a business that's, Built and managed and organized by the people versus a traditional corporate structure. So that's a little bit about like you know how it, it, everything came to the head and, and a bit about my background.
0: Awesome. So a uh, c- couple of fundamentals for our viewers: Bitcoin itself, the native blockchain, does not support what we call smart contracts. And I guess smart contracts is a necessary element for decentralized finance. Some kind of some some kind of uh, virtual structure that incorporates terms and conditions. So you can create. Kind of more complex financial instruments. So Bitcoin doesn't have that natively, but there are projects out there, and correct me if I'm wrong, that are building infrastructure, I guess, on a layer two uh, or side chain on top of Bitcoin to bring smart contract capability. But what you're doing is saying um, you recognize that the smart contract capability of Ethereum in particular uh, met a lot of the needs that you were trying to build for, uh, but be able to to utilize the liquidity of Bitcoin, is that a correct characterization?
1: Yeah, that's that's spot on. There's most certainly um, other other protocols that are building on top of the Bitcoin network, uh, but you know the the robustness of the smart contract technology that they built, and and, and two other very important pieces: the lack of liquidity, and also the lack of. Um, uh interoperability as it relates to the the tools that people use every day. Like as a very easy and quick example, um you can look at MetaMask, which for users is, you know, a, a browser extension wallet for Ethereum. Um but it you know with a click of a button you can change it to Binance Smart Chain to another blockchain like Phantom and you know, but it's literally just a browser extension and it has, you know, five, five million users. And you go log into a website that's smart contract enabled you literally press connect your wallet and now it recognizes all the tokens that you have in there and and if you're building a protocol you now have anyone that has that app already installed able to activate in your application versus what it looks like you know on project on on uh, sidechains on bitcoin for example that's way behind a lot of that not not to their discredit right it's just like the bitcoin blockchain is mo- is not Built for this, you had to build on top. Where Ethereum is, this is its specific purpose, right? It's a blockchain that's meant for to be built on top of, and and to have a smart contract label layer that enables that. So, um, yeah, most certainly that's that's how you would look at, I guess, the landscape of you know building on Bitcoin, potentially building on other networks that have smart contract availability, and then the liquidity that's available there. And for for us in particular, more just in general, what I believe is you know today 1% of bitcoin has been wrapped or ported over to other blockchains because there has to be a process right you can't just bring it right to the other chain with the same wallets you, there needs to be a process to wrap it in the appropriate standard that's applicable to those chains i believe you know there's going to be 20 30 40% of all bitcoin in existence that's living on those other chains because It's simply, you know, the ultimate collateral, right? It represents 50% of the entire cryptocurrency market. It has the largest user base and wallet, wallet base and holders around the world. And the fact of the matter is like having it in your wallet and seeing the appreciation is great, but being able to use it and have access to financial services and applications that, you know, today are really just reserved for. A lot of the, you know, the big hedge funds and things along those lines, it brings that power back to the people. And and it brings it to the people in a time where banks are offering 0.005% interest and, you know, negative rates and all these crazy stuff that's going on. It makes it relatively clear to understand, like, shoot, like there is going to be a new system. And like, what's going to be the mode of currency on that system?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great choice. It seems to me as a builder, um... You looked at the landscape at the time and you said, Ethereum has all the tools that I need right now to build the kind of product that I think users want, um, but, but Bitcoin has the liquidity and Bitcoin is the, the place where institutional adoption is happening at the largest scale. And so you decided to take a kind of an agnostic view of the space and say, I'm going to build a bridge here and I'm going to combine the liquidity of Bitcoin, but the tool sets that Ethereum offers in that maturity, I'm going put them together into a, a new product. And so let, let's talk about that. So what's the name of your product and why is it named that? I, I'm, I'm very curious about mm-hmm. how you guys came about that name and how, how does it work exactly? And then we'll get into uh, exactly how things like wrap Bitcoin work and, and vaults and et cetera. Sure. So.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, the project that I initiated is called Badger. And as you would imagine, and if people are familiar with uh, how the honey badger, um, meme is part of you know, Bitcoin's ethos. That was really where uh, we took inspiration from. Um, our core product is what we would call a yield aggregator or yield optimizer. What that means is if you're a user in the decentralized finance system, there's all these great opportunities to earn interest, but it requires you to do work right? It requires you to go to this application, deposit here, and maybe you want to then take what they give you and lend it out over here. And then you may be earning some type of interest and rewards and you want to compound it. And, you know, you want to just do these different types of things. They require you to pay fees on the Ethereum blockchain to do that. It requires you to be really astute and spend time, effort and resources to determine, you know, what the best plan is and then execute on that plan. But the great thing about smart contracts is you can code the most optimal way to achieve some of those yields. So with us, we say, come to Badger, deposit Bitcoin. You can deposit it, you know, native Bitcoin, and we'll wrap it for you and deposit it into our product to earn yield. Or you can bring, you know, an already existing tokenized Bitcoin. So a Bitcoin that's been ported over to Ethereum, for example, uh, deposit in Badger, and we'll optimize the yield for you. On that deposit, and today, Santiago, we have about uh, 20,000 bitcoins deposited in the application, about 1.5 billion dollars American worth of deposits. Users can earn, earn anywhere between five and call it 30% interest um, on their bitcoins. Uh, but one of the things that I'm most passionate about is you know, users controlling their assets, being their own bank. So everything on Badger is completely non-custodial. What that means is you have complete control of your assets when using the platform. You can withdraw at any time. There's complete transparency to be able to literally look into the smart contracts and say, okay, it says there's 4,221 Bitcoins deposited being used in this smart contract strategy, and you can literally like, go see it at, on a per second basis. And then you know, you obviously hold your own keys, right? So we don't hold your keys. There's no custody whatsoever you hold your keys, you connect to the app, you deposit, and you and you do what you want to do. So that that's our core product. Um, we have a few other products, of course. But really, the the whole idea here is like this one-stop shop on other chains to put your Bitcoin to work and to make it easy uh, for users to do that.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, it goes in the traditional financial space that, that's kind of the, the theory of efficient capital allocation that you know you have a system where you, you can designate your capital and earn yield by some productive capacity. So at the end game, you have utility in mind. You want to build un- mm-hmm. functions that are useful uh, for the user. In this case, um, let's get a little bit into uh, kind of the yield here because yield to me is a very strong incentive to bring in community. To bring in users, right? It's one of the things that builds, uh, because I noticed that your platform re- has grown really fast in a short period of time, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh, very astute how you kind of aggregate different yield strategies. It's almost like pro- portfolio management. Is that you 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 do a service on behalf of a lot of of the users so that they don't have to understand the nuances of this, and you do some portfolio management to construct. These yield uh, products, and then that in itself is kind of self-compounding, right? Because that yield attracts more users. And um, but before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about wrapped Bitcoin, um, sure. and let's identify some of those risks because I, I I see as you you talked about your platform in itself as transparent and non-custodial, and that's excellent. Uh, talk a little bit about the risk related to wrapped instruments, or any kind of wrapped. One hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I, I think the risk starts well before that. The risk starts at just smart contracts, right? Like mm. smart contracts themselves are have inherent risk built into them, because if you just think about some of the the terms you threw out there, right? Like portfolio management, you know, utility, asset allocation, all these types of things. To maintain transparency and to be non-custodial, that means there can't be individuals being like, okay, Santiago, thanks for your Bitcoin. I'm gonna put it here, then this day, I'm gonna put it there. No, this is all coded into the smart contracts and automated, or else it wouldn't be able to function at a scale that that and that's one of the main benefits, right? You don't, you know, that's how protocols like Badger that only launched in December can go from nothing to this and do it in a sustainable way and scalable way because as long as the smart contracts code optimizes that yield and can execute those functions, it doesn't matter if it's $100 or $10 billion. It can most certainly do it. Now, smart contracts code and what happens with code? Codes could have bugs in them. And if there's bugs in these codes, it could open up opportunities for hackers to potentially exploit the funds for there to be, you know, a mistake in how the yields actually aggregated and that the tokens are allocated and things along those lines. So, at the core of it, anyone that's uh, preparing to use decentralized finance finance needs to get needs to feel comfortable with smart contracts and the inherent risk that's associated with them. Right. So let's let's kind of look at wrapped Bitcoin for example. Wrapped Bitcoin then has another layer of risk. So if you have Bitcoin. Native Bitcoin that lives on the Bitcoin network, you need it in a tokenized format and a standard that can be used on whatever blockchain you want to put it to work on. As an example of that is Ethereum, you need it to be an ERC-20 standard token. So how do you accomplish that? WBTC represents, if I'm not mistaken, close to 80% of all the Bitcoin that's ever been wrapped or tokenized. So you know whatever that is now, $9 billion or, or whatever it is. Um, they they are uh, they use a trusted, centralized custodian for that process. So if you're a user, what's technically happening is Bitcoin is going to Biko. If you know I'm sure when this airs, I think it, it came out yesterday, but um, you know Galaxy just purchased Bico, the largest transaction, I think, in the crypto space for over a billion dollars. Neither here nor there, they deposit Bitcoin. BICO now holds that bitcoin and you're trusting the security of bitco as a qualified custodian which of course they have an unbelievable arguably one of the best reputations in the whole industry neither here nor there that's a risk they then take that bitcoin that you gave them and they mint an equivalent of that on the ethereum blockchain almost as like an iou okay so every Ethereum or wrapped Bitcoin, WBTC that lives on Ethereum, is backed by one Bitcoin on if it's WBTC at Bitcoin, right? So there is a level of risk and and custody risk that you need to be comfortable with. Now that that WBTC is living on Ethereum, you now have a whole set of, of smart contract risk layers that you need to adhere to. As an example, you bring it to Badger. We have our smart contracts. That's risk level one. We then take that and put it to different protocols that that themselves are totally open source and smart contract based. But now you're inherently taking on the risk of those smart contracts. Because if there's an issue with those smart contracts, there's a risk with your WBTC, regardless if nothing happens to Badger smart contracts. And that layer just kind of stacks and stacks as it relates to the risk. The more smart contracts that you interact with. So that's WBTC. That's a little bit of the risk parameters and profiles. And then there's other wrapped Bitcoins. Um, is, is relatively popular. HBTC from Holby Exchange. TBTC from Keep Network. And all these uh, groups have different uh, uh, characteristics of centralization
0: and decentralization. And they each come
1: with their trade-offs of risk as well.
0: Yeah. Excellent. That was a great characterization, kind of the spectrum of risk and very rarely talked about, actually. Uh, a lot of it tends to be just pure salesmanship and it looks at just the yield side without recognition of that yield comes at a, at a price, right? There's a risk return uh, curve that the market essentially builds in. Uh, and then and- in
1: Santiago, that's where we've seen this just massive acceleration. Like everyone's talking about DeFi. Why? Because the yields are ridiculous. They're like 500%. So it's like, you look at the curve, right? It's like, okay, will I take on this smart contract risk and all these layers of risk for 500% return? Heck yeah, right? And that's why it's kind of gone like this, but it requires a certain type of individual that's comfortable with that level of risk. And that's why we see in DeFi in particular, a lot of crypto native people, people that have been comfortable over two, three, four years. We see a lot of people that got a taste for crypto during the ICO boom. And stuck around and started monkeying around with different tools and exchanges and wallets. And then now, with the market going on such a big move, we have these same people with so much more capital in their hands and a level of astuteness as it relates to being a a cryptocurrency user, not just a cryptocurrency holder. And then that wave is just gonna continue, right? So like imagine years from now as these smart contracts become more battle-tested, they have more capital in them, people become more comfortable with the risk parameters because they've been live longer, again, with more users and all this type of stuff, you'll have the next generation of people that weren't comfortable during this high-risk time to want to get involved, and they themselves have a bunch of capital, and, and the yields will kind of go down as, as that curve increases. So it's 500%, and then it'll work its way down to 10% and 5% but in the end of the day that destroys the 0.05% that you get from a bank and it and it destroys the lack of transparency it, re- do, it removes all the middlemen it allows you to do it in seconds for dollars rather than waiting days and having to spend tens of dollars for transfers anywhere around the world and it's completely peer to peer so it brings this enormous level of transparency and it brings such a level of opportunity for people around the world to, to unbank themselves and and create you know a new financial freedom for their life.
0: Great statement. Uh, I, I want to dissect something here because I think you know, a lot of Real Vision viewers are finance oriented and many of them have battle scars from the 2008 great financial crisis mm. and one of the criticisms they would levy is say well you know mortgage-backed securities they had these tranches and the tranches had various levels of risk and people didn't know what was packaged in them um, and therefore they were sold as kind of a, a much higher investment grade financial instrument and it kind of created this systemic risk and what some people would say is, well, you know that you're recreating that situation in DeFi because, to to what you just illustrated, is you have these smart contracts that have inherent vulnerabilities, or you know you may not understand the risk. And my counter to that would be the differences with mortgage-backed securities or these collateralized debt instruments and these tranches. You couldn't inspect those things; they were not transparent, and you would have stacks of you know, uh, very complex paperwork that nobody understood and people would just sell it off like a hot potato. The difference here is, yes, there are risks, but you can go and inspect them. The level of transparency is really the main differentiator. And so you are compensated for that for that risk in the interest rate, uh, but you now have this extra tool where if you have the right skill set or the, the the determination, you can go through whatever level of kind of rigor you want to determine whether that interest rate is, is worth it or not. Would you agree with that?
1: I, Santiago, I would completely agree with that. You know, and, and, and like I, some, someone might rebut, well, it's like trying to read a different language, wrapping your head around this stuff. And, and, the, and you know what? It is. It's, it's definitely complicated, it's definitely uh, more technically oriented. But at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that the information's available. And everything's completely transparent. And it makes it that much harder for there to be, you know, uh, that that stack of, of major risk. Because at every level, there has to be these guards. As an example, you know, we're a yield aggregator, right? So you deposit with us and it's our responsibility to optimize your yield. We wouldn't be able to function sustainably if we didn't have an enormous level of diligence around the smart contracts that we're enabling you to interact with. Right. So you now have these parties in between that their business goes away and they themselves are so open and transparent that we couldn't get away at all with doing anything potentially shady or misleading or things along those lines that back to your example, that was happening at so many different layers. Like it wasn't just like, oh, boom. Oh, it was just, you know, because this one group here was doing these mortgages. No, it's like at every single layer professionals and small groups with very specialized knowledge were taking that knowledge adjusting it to sell to the next layer to make them feel comfortable, they would take that layer, sell it, to, and then it would eventually get down to retail, and it'd be a stack this big they couldn't wrap their head around if they, if they needed to. In the DeFi ecosystem, it's much different because there needs to be a high level of integrity at every stack. And, and if there isn't, there really isn't sustainability. And I'd say the other major differentiator is that you have capital efficiency like we've never seen before in decentralized finance. Right? Like you talk about going to the bank and just using a simple example of getting a mortgage. You know, once you get that mortgage, you know, that's really it. There may be a couple other structured products that you'd be able to use to maybe get another mortgage or, you know, a home equity line of credit against stuff or whatever it may be. But in decentralized finance, everything increases capital efficiency. I go out and get a loan. Great, I now have a token that represents a loan that I got, right? It's kind of like your your paperwork. But then this application over here says, hey, deposit that in here and we'll optimize, you know, what you can get with that. And we'll give you this back, this token back that represents your position in here. And then Badger comes along and says, Hey, deposit that with us because we can do X, Y, and Z for you. And then this protocol comes along and says, Oh, deposit those Badger tokens with us. <laughs> and so like this is literally, it's like we call them Legos because. It's just stacking on top of one another, of course, bringing more inherent risk at each stack, but with complete transparency and capital efficiency at every single level.
0: Yeah, so the, so composability, it seems to me, the theme you're pressing here. It's the, it's the feature of Ethereum that really differentiates itself from a lot of other platforms. You can take all these financial instruments, interoperate them, share the liquidity, uh, and then use use that to to find yield to to basically find the place where there's the most growth, and you can put your assets to work. Uh, you know, what, one of the things I'm most excited over is kind of the digitization of real world assets. You know, homes, real real estate, art, all these kind of things, um, and then tokenizing them in the same way Bitcoin was, and then being able to interoperate them with uh, automated market making, being a liquidity provider using your assets. All these very exciting. Because right now, the main, I guess, value to these systems comes from Bitcoin, right? I mean, institutions buy it, individuals buy it, and then that liquidity kind of waterfalls down to Ethereum and a lot of the other chains. Uh, But there's so much value out in the real world that could be tokenized that with this composability, you could create really interesting financial instruments and, and complex financial products that... Most people never had access to before. And, and and your product is essentially delivering a new level of access. So that, that's super exciting. It's just a start,
1: Santiago. Like, we're this in the last 12 months, we've seen the explosion and we've seen a glimpse, an unbelievably small glimpse into the future. But well, that's why I called it in the beginning of our chat, like, you know, the future financial system, the people's financial system. Because something as simple as tokenizing a real-world asset, that's great No, We saw a lot of this conversation maybe three years ago. Everyone was talking about STOs and, and all this type of stuff um, you know, for the viewers' security token offerings. And these are you know, tokenized securities, essentially. And um, you know, But it's great to have that and, and unlock this illiquid asset. But if you can't do anything with it, and there's not a market to trade it, You don't necessarily have that layer on top that creates an ecosystem and a healthy sustainable environment that's what DeFi does you have applications that you can then participate in if that's an exchange to trade it if that's a money market to lend and borrow against it if that's places to earn additional yield on it all these things there's tranche products all these things and today they're being experimented with with the the available assets the digital assets that are available today, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these other assets. More, more assets from the real world are going to be tokenized. And the minute they're tokenized, there's now a way for a healthy market to grow and expand.
0: Yeah, it's almost like 2017. People wanted to you know, drive Lamborghinis to these very uh, valuable, complex financial assets. But there wasn't a highway yet, and, and, and the highway is being built. You guys are building some of that. And before you know it, we'll be able to drive all these very interesting exotic um, assets on there and, and enjoy them. Now, let, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit to community, because sure. the, the way I see these blockchain networks is very much people. I mean, code's super important, but I feel like it's most of the value comes from human beings. Can you look, talk a little bit about your project and how you see community uh, bringing value?
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more, Santiago. Like, people are everything. Community is everything. Communities are networks. Community are sustainability. Like, that's what is sustainable. Um, Especially in an unbelievably volatile market like cryptocurrency, you see such massive swings and massive money movements. And with that, because primarily those um, participants or investors you, you You see lack of interest when the price of something's down or whatever you know we just saw it. like look, look what's happening today versus what's ha- what happened in two thousand and eighteen. You can't go on Twitter with or go on the television without seeing something about Bitcoin and crypto, right? Look at the level of excitement there compared to when bitcoin was went from twenty thousand to three thousand. It was just like totally different. So I've always believed in community, and just to give um, you know anyone that's watching just a perspective. Badger is really unique, and I'm not going comp- to get super complicated here, but Badger is unique because it's a completely community-run business. When we started, we wanted to rewrite the playbook on how a business could start. So bootstrap, we don't believe in um, this idea of, oh, put on your best dress and go dance around for some VCs to give you money and then go to TechCrunch and they can praise you for raising $50 million. And then you have you know a big office with a bunch of people not making any money, racing against the clock before your burn goes down. But maybe someone acquires you and you go public and all your original investors can now say, I invested in so-and-so when they were nothing, right? It's just a total joke. So we wanted to change that. And then we, you know, and I'll explain how we did that. But then if you're able to build a business that didn't need to leverage that level of capital and and, and bootstrapping mechanic, how is that business then managed? Because the traditional way businesses are managed are completely centralized. You know, you have C-level executives, you have board of directors, you have no transparency in how the money is moving all those types of things. So we wanted to bring the same level of transparency that we bring to our product. We wanted to bring that to the business and how the business is managed. So um, when Badger launched, we, decide, we didn't raise any capital at all. Um, and we said, you know what? We're going to use the power of the blockchain here. We believe community is based on a shared value and belief system. It's very difficult to have a community unless there is a shared value and belief system. Our value and belief system consists of three things. One, the belief in Bitcoin in decentralized finance, right? People that believe in Bitcoin is the best collateral in the world that should be used in new financial systems. A, a group of individuals that believe that decentralized governance, so governing businesses by the people rather than centralized units is a powerful thing. You may have, people may have heard the term DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. People that believe in that are our type of people. And then finally, those that want to support public goods, those that want to give back and help the future of this industry. So we looked at those three segments and used the power of the blockchain. And we scanned Ethereum and identified 32,000 addresses that over the last two and a half years that completed actions that lent themselves to those three pillars. As an example, they used WBTC or tokenized Bitcoin as a liquidity provider on Uniswap or Balancer or lent and bored against it on Compound or minted Dai on Maker, did these types of things or voted on governance in wire uh, or Sushi. And, you know, or from a public goods perspective, donated to Gitcoin, right? We collected all this information and said, OK, guys, anyone that did all that stuff, come to Badger. We're launching today. we are created a token. Anyone that holds this token controls the entire business, the products, the treasury, who's hired, the direction, anything you can imagine with complete transparency. And because you did all those actions and we believe you're one of us, you can come claim these certain amount of tokens for free. Just come and claim them. Oh, and by the way, we have a product that allows you to optimize the yield on your Bitcoin. And, you know, we're pretty confident that you're into that type of stuff since we know based on your wallet addresses, you know, that's the type of activity that you participated in. So that's how we bootstrapped it. And then from there, it went from nothing to today. You know, we've generated over $20 million in revenue, annualized looking at potentially $100 Our treasury consists of $500 million, and and it's uh, people from around the world that have never met. There's over 50 people now working on the project, and the community and anyone that holds one token, half of a token, one-tenth of a token, can vote on any decision. And we've had over 57 votes, on average, a couple thousand people participating in each vote, Um, and over 50,000, I think the number's like 40,000 people around the world that hold the token now. So that's how we bootstrapped. And then as it relates to how a new paradigm of running a business, most importantly, a business that manages a very transparent financial product should run, that's what we're trying to change as well.
0: You know, I think that's very special. I actually think that's a a greater innovation than uh, just simply um, aggregating yield, which I think is excellent too. But this idea of creating a community that are going to weather any kind of crisis, right? So you're going to find bugs in smart contracts. You're going to have bear markets. You're going to have all these conditions, which um, have a lot of volatility. If you have people that are kind of ideologically aligned with your mission statement, they'll weather that storm. They're like a a crew on this ship that, you know, it's not going to go down because they're going to make sure that it's going to make it through. I think that's actually a more significant development. I, I didn't anticipate that talking to you, but I feel like that approach... Should be a roadmap for any other crypto project, right? They they should mm-hmm. be really thinking about who they're building a strong foundation with, because if they don't have a strong foundation, it's you, you can't build this, these very complicated structures on top of it. So, um, you know, I think that I think that's excellent, yeah.
1: and and it goes to like you know what I believe to be the future of business, right? Like you talk about some. Uh, and, and, I, and, not, and I'm just going to use badge. I can use two or three other examples like Sushi or Yearn, for example. But you got now com- completely token governed companies that are not legal entities, okay, that generate 50 to 100 million dollars a year in revenue and have and manage hundreds of millions of dollars all on code. You think about how different that is from... A billion dollar company that exists today that you would even if you use the product, like if you think about it like this and and I'm just use Uber because everyone uses Uber and it's not a billion. It's however many a billions of a company in value. But imagine you are on the board of Uber and at the same time as a user of the Uber app, you have the power, you have the voice to say, you know what, F that Uber I don't like the surge fees. I'm going to work with the community to garner a a proposal that proposes a change. And if enough people believe in what I believe in, it will change. Think about how different businesses will operate and the future of digital business, because, you know, call it what it is, right? The pandemic is not going away anytime soon. It's changed the world forever. And now with so many more people at home, and so many more people having being forced to accelerate into this, you know, world of, of a a digital, it just totally drives this understanding of what I'm talking about, because it's even hard for most even understand how a world like that could operate. But now when you know that You know, I don't need to meet you and shake your hand, Santiago, before we can do an interview. We don't need to do these types. We're conducting large amounts of business digitally already. The next evolution of that is, again, bringing transparency and digitizing the actual stacks of an organization and how organizations operate and function.
0: Yeah, amen to that. I I couldn't agree more. And, um, you you know, one thing you you mentioned about this democratization, I guess, of the governance, right? Uh, it's so important to pick the right people initially because governance is actually really hard. It, there, there can be apathy in ecosystems, and the same way there is in democratic systems of, of, of the real world, is um, you know there can be apathy in the governance structure. People will will buy a, a governance token, but really not participate. So, being very Mindful initially on that foundation we talked about, of the right community of people yes. who who do want to engage in the governance is super important because that's what's going to compound. That's the flywheel that's going to yield better and better products and, like you said, make the ecosystem sustainable. So I think that that's exactly that's exactly correct. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about uh, kind of regulation. Because I think one of the biggest challenges for DeFi, um, you know, we can do a lot of this virtual interoperability uh, without much interference from the regulator. But when we finally get to the touch points with fiat, I think is where, you know, because as you were talking, I, I was I was kind of crying from my accountant. I mean, the accountants must be drowning in misery for the complexity of these, um, you know, taxable events and these kind of things. So what's your feeling on regulation? Uh, either on taxes or being uh, de- declared security, some of these instruments being declared securities, all this uh, regulatory compliance. What's your feeling on that? How do, you, how do you think the DeFi community will manage that going forward? It's, it's
1: going to be a big challenge. It really is. Um, simply because this new financial system is going to be fighting against the old financial system and the rules that were made for that financial system and the rules that, enforce, that are enforced by regulators for that financial system. It's like trying to put a square peg in a round hole, and it's going to take time for continuing to jam that hole be, before it creates enough of a room <laughs> and grit and uh, carving to actually get in there. But it, it's coming, right, Santiago, and, and, and it has to come. It's going to be part of the journey of the evolution of decentralized finance. Um, unfortunately, you know, not uncommon in crypto in the past, there's a lot of bad actors that take advantage of times like this you know we saw it back in 2013 14 we you know well before that actually but you know we were see, we saw it in 2017 with all these you know ICOs that were just putting lipstick on a pig and, and taking money and doing a bunch of crazy shit with it and stealing people's money and all this type of stuff um, and we're seeing a lot of that now right like projects are launching using a lot of the terms and strategies that i just talked about but with ill intention, and that's just going to make the impact of the regulators that much more. It's just it's just low hanging fruit for them, right? It's like okay, listen, like these guys are obviously laundering money. Okay, these guys are obviously stealing people's funds. All these types of stuff. Um, but you know, my, my belief is protocols today, especially protocols that that act with a high level of integrity, would have the intention of changing the industry and being pioneers they need to also trailblaze and become pioneers as relates to regulation. And they need to to put their flag in the sand and say, these are the actions that I'm gonna take and we are gonna take to be good actors and try our best because it's all unknown, right? There is no regulations for this stuff, but you have to try your best and you have to do the types of things that wanna make the regulators work with us sooner rather than later, it's inevitable, but the sooner they feel comfortable collaborating to help develop some of these new regulations, the better everyone's going to be, you know? So of course it's funky, like, you know, come to Badger there. You don't have to sign up with an email account. You don't have to give your pad. You know, that's very different from traditional banking laws and bank banking laws are probably not going to be that happy about it. Right. So how do you, again, how do you take those steps and how do you structure, um, these DeFi protocols and businesses, in a way that try and adhere to some level of regulatory framework, without trying to stunt innovation. Right? That's the you know that's the the balancing rope that you're on. You you don't want to stunt innovation. You want to continue to push things forward. You want to be a good actor. You want to help the regulatory environment grow with the innovation. So you there has to be an in between. And I'm a firm believer that. Um, protocols today need to be leading the charge. Like I, I can speak for ourselves, you know, we try and do everything we can within that within that boundary to to be good actors, and we're actively working on you know what types of regulatory structures can we put in place for Badger and for the community and for the technology and the open source technology that we've built, and then how does taxes even work? Like you know, we're actively investigating this stuff every single day. Um, and, and I encourage others to do so. But in the end of the day, again, it's going to be this balancing act. How do you not stunt innovation? How do you help push regulation forward so it matches with that level of innovation?
0: Yeah, I agree. That's 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 great because um, I think the first mass adoption DeFi product will be the one, the, the, the project or projects that embraced regulation. Because at that point, it will bring in a kind of a level of Comfort that a lot of people who don't understand these things uh, feel okay. It's got the rubber stamp of the regulators, and you know they'll they'll, be, they'll feel free to dip their toes in the water. Now at that point, the yields will be a lot lower naturally uh, because their risk has been mitigated. But in terms of mass adoption, I, I feel uh, like that's the only way. You know, more recently, uh, the Financial Action Task Force came out with guidance regarding. Things like dexes and uh, virtual assets, and the way they see it is that there's there's always some counterparty that you have to comply with. So one of the risks of DeFi has always been, okay, let's say I engage in a transaction with a counterparty, and they're on a sanctions list, right? I don't know like uh, me as a as a participant I, I don't know who's on the other side of that dex or so I don't know who who I'm providing liquidity to how am I supposed to vet that person and say yes they are or are not on a KYC I mean on a anti money laundering list or you know on a sanctions list um and so I think that that software is going to need to be required that kind of integrates these extra layers of KYC AML and compliance with the kind of flexibility of um, DeFi, right? And and being and being uh, anonymous, you know, you can use like zero knowledge proofs to prove out certain key parts of the identity. Uh, but I think a project that embraces that early on is gonna is gonna mass adopt, you know. And and great yeah, it needs, to, it needs
1: to be it needs to be included, you know, even on Badger. Like we're completely open source, and anyone can use our. our our application and our, in our smart contracts, but you know, we, we geofence certain countries, rightfully so. Um, And and I think that's important because again, it shows your intention of trying to push innovation while being a good actor. And of course we don't want you Santiago dealing with, you know, a a bad address or an individual on the other side that's maybe doing illegal things or whatever. So how can you do that with, uh, again, without, um, without, uh, I'd say without, um, without compromising the the integrity of decentralization.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, okay. So I guess last piece of this discussion I'd like to get into is what products are Badger most excited about right now? What are you building? Can you uh, pull back the curtain a little bit and tell us maybe a preview of the things that you're working on or see coming on the horizon shortly?
1: Yeah, listen, I could talk about Badger all day. I'd love to talk about that <laughs> stuff. Um, so, really, if you think about Badger, we have, like I said, we have one mission, right? Which is to bring as much Bitcoin to decentralized finance as we can. And as we bring it there, give it utility. And it, because if it doesn't have utility, who the heck's going to want to bring it there? So, Badger and our stack really, and our products, our product offering really fall on like you know, three, I call them like a nucleus and our, and our, and our prongs. So we have our Nucleus, which is our yield aggregation product, right? We we call them set vaults. These vaults were constantly coming up with new strategies, new smart contracts that can enable people to earn better yield, more sustainable yield, handle more capital in those yield strategies. So that's literally like every few weeks. It's just a new thing, bringing it to market, testing it. if it meets just appropriate security standards, moving it into a place where users can have access to it and things along those lines. So that's always going to be evolving. And now we have you know, the, the other prongs. One side is, well, okay, you have all these yield strategies, but if, if you can't bring native Bitcoin into these yield strategies, you're always going to have 1% of the supply, maybe 2%. Like, How do you get that to 30%, 40%? So we have a product that we call the Badger Bitcoin Bridge, and it allows anyone to come with native Bitcoin again without giving up um, control of their keys. They can use their Ledger wallet, they can use a browser extension, they can use different things that they feel comfortable with. And they can, with one click of a button, go from native Bitcoin to depositing into our vaults and earning interest. And what happens is you're actually, um, we're, we're actually wrapping that Bitcoin for you. And then using a smart contract that zaps it, as we call it, or deposits it into our vaults for you. So for you, it's a click. But in the background, there's all these different things happening to enable you to realize that. So that's a core product we've had. We've, we only launched it last Monday. So it's been live, you know, a little over 10 days. And we've had over $100 million of Bitcoin move through that bridge, oh. um, which, which is really great. So that's a you know, foundational product. We're going to continue to integrate new yield strategies into that bridge, introduce it to other networks. Today, it's just going to Ethereum. We're looking at bringing it to other networks as new chains start really you know, building um, strong asset bases and applications on top and things and, and demand for Bitcoin, of course. And then the other side of it is, OK, you've brought in Bitcoin. You're earning yield through these unique yield strategies, but you're 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 now faced with a level of illiquidity, right? You're illiquid because you've deposited; you're earning interest. But we want to we want to unleash capital efficiency. We want to show the power of composability. We want to enable people to not be locked into an illiquid position. So, a product that we're launching tomorrow is called interest-bearing Bitcoin. Hmm. That's the other problem. And the value of interest-bearing Bitcoin is that it unlocks your liquidity. So imagine this for a second, Santiago, you bring Bitcoin, you deposit it to earn 10% interest. You're now earning interest. If you're earning interest in the Badger app, we say, hey, use that position that you're in and mint or use it as collateral to mint a new asset called interest-bearing Bitcoin. An interest-bearing Bitcoin, it's like an index product. That's backed by a whole variety of Bitcoin yield tokens, and it takes the average of the different yields, and that's the underlying uh, interest rate for just simply holding that interest-bearing Bitcoin. Now, of course, anyone can go swap for it on a decentralized exchange. I can hold WBTC, or I can hold essentially uh, the same thing, except it's earning 10% interest. I might as well, you know, do that. But for a depositor, especially an app user, you now can then take that interest-bearing Bitcoin, go to a place, uh, use it as collateral to borrow stablecoin or more Bitcoin to lever up, right? You can then take it and provide liquidity with it somewhere. You can then take it and bring it to another chain to do stuff over there that you'd like to do. So this is the type of um, liquidity that we're going to be bringing to position. So our whole vision is, you know, continue to attract, you know, a large base of capital inside of um, our yield products. Today's 1.5 billion. We hope, you know, by the end of the year, we hit 10 billion. But nonetheless, like that's where it is. And then you build, uh, we call them synthetic assets like interest bearing Bitcoin on top of that stack to bring liquidity and then bring capital efficiency so they can continue putting it to work in other applications.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. It seems to me that um, the end game, if there is one, is, is very much chain agnostic. So you've decided to build on Ethereum right now because you it has a lot of the tools, that are, the infrastructure we talked about is already there. So it makes it convenient. But as these other chains start building out their tools, and I would imagine like, the Ethereum virtual machine as a base prerequisite. Mm-hmm. But as they start building their tool set, it makes natural sense that you'd want to interoperate with those chains, be able to move a lot of these financial instruments cross-chain, or do other exciting things on products being on built on those other chains. Um, so you're kind of unlocking, you know, we talked about this on Real Vision before, this internet of value. You're helping build some of that infrastructure that connects cross-chain, cross-financial products. Um, so, do, is, are there what chain any any other change you're building on right now besides Ethereum?
1: Yeah, so you're, you're spot on, right? Like we believe in a multi-chain world. Um, we don't even think the users should give a crap about what chain. Eventually, mm. you know, today they should because these chains are so young. You know, you really have to understand the decentralized nature of these chains, the security factors of these chains. Again, talk about security risk. Now you have another level of security risk that comes to the table, but over time those you know those will develop as they have on Ethereum and other networks. Um, but today we have our products on Ethereum, which is primarily where majority of our ecosystem lives. But we also about a month and a half ago launched on Binance Smart Chain, so we have um, you know a decent amount. I think there's about ten or fifteen million dollars worth of Bitcoin deposited in our products over there. Uh, but you know where we're going is we want to go to a world we want to go to a place where a user comes. They have their Bitcoin, they pick the level of risk parameter and, and potential yield range or interest that they're looking to, to earn, and they press deposit. That's it. A minute, minute later, they're earning on that Bitcoin. What's happening in the background, we're wrapping it, we're tokenizing it, we're bringing it to this chain, we're bringing it to that chain, and we're doing this all through smart contracts. right? And that's where we see you know, eventually going, and we most certainly have uh, a chain agnostic Approach to this, and for us, really, it comes down to two things. One, um, you know, does that chain have an appetite for Bitcoin? Right? Is Bitcoin or Bitcoin um, applications and yield opportunities growing over there? Do people want Bitcoin on that chain for providing liquidity or whatever? And then the other, the other side of it is uh, composability. You talked about the EVM, Ethereum Virtual Machine. That's a must, right? Like, you know, for us in particular. We, we built our entire ecosystem and product and the, and the foundational security uh, backbone of our products and smart contracts here. For us to then have to redo all that because of the lack of compatibility and bring it to another chain, it's just super unrealistic. But for us to take what we've already built, make some small modifications, and then go to a chain, like Binance is a good example. There's a lot of scrutiny around, you know, the level of decentralization and things along those lines. But for a builder, the tools that are there, like all, literally all the tools that we that we use on Ethereum, are usable over there. So it's it, it was just like a, a replicate a replication of what we're already doing, and then you know we're there in two weeks. Versus if we were to have to do something all over again, it could take six months.
0: You know, and I think that's a that portability function of using the Ethereum virtual machine, which is kind of this layer that sits on top of the chain. That's the engine for the smart contracts. That portability, I think people underestimate um, how useful that's going to be to alleviate the congestion in the networks. You know, as Ethereum gets more popular, it's kind of a, a, a victim of its own success and that we see these congestions uh, and this fight for block space. Uh, it, these alternate chains basically are alleviating that pressure because they can say, well, you can process the same transaction, uh, w- with a much lower fee, more efficiently, quick, more, more rapidly, so you kind of lower your volatility risk. Uh, and so you see these chains all interoperating kind of as relief valves to the system. And you're really building this kind of macro system where the value can flow wherever is most efficient um, and to your, your your overall point, most capital, capital efficient. So um, I think that's very wise. I think if uh, as if you continue to expand to other chains and provide that cross-chain interoperability, um, you'll you'll continue to see success. So good good job. Thanks, man. <laughs> so uh, last notes. Anything you want to share with our viewers uh, that we haven't talked about around either Badger or or anything else really? What what you would like to see this space grow into? Because. Um, I, I see this as kind of in the teenager phase. There's still a lot of obstinance to, um, we talked about compliance earlier, but I, I think we're, we're maturing to the adult phase where we're really going to start providing services to the overall world. But how do, how do you view things or how would you like to see things play out? Well, I
1: disagree with you that we're in the teenage stage. Okay, I would say we're in preschool still.
0: <laughs> oh, right, great. <laughs> yeah, I was trying very, to be kind. Very,
1: yeah, <laughs> very young and very early, and, and a variety of complexities and nuances that are not ready for prime time by any means. Hmm. Um, that really just the super users could handle this level of you know uh, craziness. Uh, but neither neither here nor there. You know what? What I like to see is is people using their cryptocurrency, right? Like that's that's what got me into decentralized finance for the first time, just as like a person that held crypto for a long time. It's like, I literally would just hold it or trade it. That's it. And I don't trade, that's just not my thing. So it's like, now all of a sudden you have this experience. It like blows your mind, even in the simplest form. When you log into, I open up 10 tabs, there are 10 different applications. Neither of them I needed to sign in with my, my uh, email. Neither of them did I need to onboard like I would do at a bank with my passport and show 10 IDs and do a, none of them do that. They're all just tabs on my, on my Chrome. And then each one I can go to, press a button, it automatically recognizes my digital footprint. How many assets I have, what the exact value of those assets are. It populates everything as relates to your portfolio value, your investment opportunities, the different types of things you can do, all with a click of a button and all in a way that's verifiable. Right. And then you could literally click another button without talking to anybody, without doing anything. And like you talk about going to get a mortgage, for example. If you wanted to go, most people, right, that that live in North America, if you're going to get a mortgage for 400, 500,000, a million dollars, whatever the heck it is, the prices are so ridiculous now, I don't even know (laughs) what to tell you, but either here nor there, think about that process. Like they want your firstborn child as collateral to an extent. Like this is how far they go, the credit system. Oh, I did I missed three $5 credit payments four years ago. And now I can't get a mortgage on my house, although I make X amount of money or whatever. Whatever the parameters are, look at the parameters they place on people with small businesses and that are entrepreneurs. They pretty much look at you as like the least credit worthy individuals, but you're probably the most astute as it relates to financial management versus a person that just works at the hospital for 30 years and takes a paycheck and, and calls it a day, right? So you think about that difference, you come to an app, you press a button, they don't know who you are, but based on your assets, based on your verifiable value that's there, they will allow you to borrow a million dollars like that with a click of a button, it costs two or three dollars to do and it happens in seconds and you can pay it back five minutes later, right? When you start experiencing that, and that's what I would encourage everyone here. Right. Start small. Start with applications that have been around for years that have the lowest amount of risk and the most capital in them and the best people behind them. Start there and just try something small. Take USDC, a stable coin that has no volatility and lend it out for 20 you know, percent interest. And then you'll say, shit, I'm leaving all this money in the bank. And I can go and put it over here and do this. Like, just try some of that stuff because that will really open up your eyes to what's coming, what's being built, and then just the real power of decentralized finance.
0: Amazing! That's that's the best way to 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 end the end the interview, Chris. I can't appreciate I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and opening our eyes uh, to the world of DeFi and Badger. I hope that as time goes on and and you get very very successful, you and your community that uh, you'll come back on Real Vision and, and continue the conversation.
1: Listen, man, it's great to be here. Uh, I've been a fan for a long time, so I really appreciate you know, bringing me on, having a chat, being able to chat with your community. And uh time that, that I can join back, you, know, you can count on it.
0: Excellent, thanks, Chris. Bye, right, buddy, ciao. Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on RealVision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because RealVision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo at
1: realvision.com.